Point, how we doing? Hey, it's so good to be with you today. Um, and before we jump into the message, I just wanna give everyone an update. I know earlier in the week, uh, we posted about, you know, just to have everyone praying for what's going on in Syria and Turkey. And wanted to also let you know that because of your generosity, we were able to partner with uh, Convoy of Hope and send $15,000 over there to earthquake relief efforts. That's the kind of church I wanna be a part of making a difference here and around the world. And for as far as today goes, we're, we are continuing in our series, A Rebel's Guide to Joy. Anybody got their guide with them? Can you hold it up in there? All the campuses, show them, yes. Hey, we still have some of those available. That is a companion for you. We have print, we have digital, we have English, we have Espanol, we have everything that you will need as we continue in this series together. And just a, a, a fascinating thought that I had this past week, I thought it was fascinating, maybe you won't. Uh, but when you think of the word rebel, who do you think of? You. <laughs> Me, <laughs> that's fair. Um, for those that didn't hear, he said you. Um, what was fascinating was that I started thinking about the people that today we, we look at as like model citizens, people that we call leaders and, and heroes. But maybe that wasn't always the case. There was a time where they were actually more of a, a rebel. Like for, for example, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When you think about his life and his perception now, it's, it's one thing. But Gallup, uh, they actually did this public perception survey going back to 1966. 63% of this country had a negative view of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Majority culture, and this is after I have a dream. Three years after that, people are like, I still don't see it. So why, I, I throw that out there to say, Right can feel wrong, wrong can feel right, good can feel bad, and bad can feel good, and public perception can often be wrong. Even though it's the majority culture, maybe they're moving in the wrong direction. So, so how do we know what to rebel against? How do we know where to go? We need a guide. And if you've lived longer than, I don't know, four years here on this planet, you know that it has to be bigger than me and you because I confuse myself all the time. I get it wrong all the time. So what we've said is that we're gonna go to Jesus and we're gonna trust him and we're gonna be obedient to him and we're gonna trust that he has a life that he will lead us to that nothing else possibly could. And to do that in this series, we're studying this small letter in the Bible called Philippians. Philippians. And just to give you a little bit of a context for where we are and where this letter is coming from, it's written by a guy named Paul. And it's a letter that is filled with joy and encouragement, which is one thing, but when you place it into its context, you know that Paul is writing this from prison. And he's not just doing a weekend stay. He's facing possible execution. He's lost everything. 
He's even chained to a guard 24 hours a day, yet he pins some of the most encouraging and joyful words that, that we have. And we believe that there's something in here for all of us if we truly want to, to live and to have this joy that Paul speaks of that Jesus says is actually possible. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're gonna be in chapter one, starting in verse 20. Look at what Paul says. He says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. What? But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I love this. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Powerful. And all that right there, I wanna focus us in on verse 21. Verse 21, and I love the way that the NIV translates this. It says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. That somehow within our joy, it's wrapped up in those four words. To live is Christ. But what does that mean? It sounds powerful. Sounds provocative. It sounds certain. But what does it mean? Well, Paul's saying to live is Christ. He's saying that no matter what circumstance I find myself in, no matter the season, Christ is the most important thing. Everything else is just a means to an end. Jesus is the prize. Here's what it means. To, to live is Christ means everything else becomes subservient to following Jesus. You know, I was uh, reading an article this past week. If some of you guys know, there's a game going on later today. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, but as they're gearing up for the Super Bowl, there's this player on the Eagles. His wife is 38 weeks pregnant. So what are you to do? Well, they made the decision that they're just gonna bring the OBGYN to the game with them. <laughs> he has a different high deductible plan than I do. I don't remember that being an option. <laughs> We've had lots of kids. Um, but it's pretty clear this week for certain, I don't know this man's life, but the Super Bowl is the most important thing. Now everything else will become subservient to that. But for you, what is it? To live is, and if you're taking notes, I would love for you to write this down. To live is, and then what's in that blank space? Chances are you're here with me, it's not the Super Bowl. But there is something, and I would love it if it's Christ, but honest answers only. You know, I've lived for a lot of things in my life, and as I was thinking back through, I think there's been different loves. If I would have said, to live is this. If I can have this, then it means that life is good. And starting out, I would say my first love to live was ball. I loved basketball. 
And I'm gonna be honest with you, six years old, I was one of the greats, okay? I'm shooting straight with you. Do you know what they used to call me? Six years old, killer. One, let's just highlight how great the 90s were because no, you're going to a bunch of games in this season. Nobody's yelling to your six-year-old, get them killer, right? But the way God set up my body, it just didn't work out for me. There was a lot of people that thought I was really going somewhere with basketball. Once again, we cannot trust majority opinion. But I gave up, I gave up with basketball and then I moved on to girls, right? This will be the thing. This will be my ticket. I'm gonna give my life to seeing if someone of the opposite sex will find me attractive. And it was cool until it wasn't. Until I remember this girl said that I look like Doug Funny. And I thought, you know what? There are better uses for my heart to give my life to than to deal with this disrespect. So then I, I focused most of my time and, and interest on, I, I truly, I gave my life to being accepted. I did a lot of things that I, that I didn't want to do. I, I did things that I knew that were wrong because I wanted to belong. I wanted to fit in because to me, that feeling of acceptance, that was what it meant to live. If I could have those friends in this season, it was the most important thing. Later on, it was money, and I just thought if I could just get a little bit more of that, then life would be good. But what is it for you? To live is, what, what do you have in that space right now? Maybe, maybe it is money. Maybe it's sports, maybe it's acceptance, maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's morals. I just wanna give us some questions, uh, and, and feel free to take a snapshot of these as we walk through, but just some questions to help you identify what is it that I'm really living for in this season? What am I living for? What does your calendar say your life is all about? What do you daydream about? What are you willing to compromise pretty much everything for? What are you most fearful of losing? What is that for you? What's the thing you're willing to pretty much compromise anything for? What's the thing that you wake up thinking about, you go to bed thinking about? What's in that space? To live is blank. Because if whatever's in that space is anything other than Jesus, then it changes the equation. Because if to live is whatever that is, that means to die is, is to lose that thing. Life begins to fall apart when we lose that acceptance, when we break even our own moral code, when we can no longer do the thing that we love, it's like we suffer a thousand deaths throughout our lifetime. And what Paul is getting at here in these four powerful words is that if you feel anything in that space, your joy is gonna become circumstantial. 
It's gonna be become conditional at best because when you think about it, think about how often we come to this place of just believing that if our circumstances would be better, then we would be in, in a better place, that we would be better off, that our health, our mental space, we would have more joy and peace if it was just that our circumstances could be a little bit different. But I think what Paul's doing here with this phrase of to live is Christ and to die is gain is shifting that perspective. To move us away from thinking that our lives are dependent on what we do or the season that we find ourselves in. He says, what if that's not our biggest problems? But, but look at this, he says, what if our biggest problems come from how we've chosen to define what it means to truly live? That begins to make a lot of sense. And it's easy to do and we can pull back and we're, we get ourselves out of that space. He's saying, think about how delicate and fragile everything else is. Like if you've given your life to sports, have you ever met the human knee? It's so fragile, one wrong move and it's gone. If you've given your life to money, have you ever met the stock market? It literally looks like a roller coaster. He's saying even if you give your life to a relationship, have you ever been to a funeral of someone that you loved so much and now you're staring down at them as they're in a casket. What Paul is saying is that whatever you put in that space, it's only a matter of time before it's gone. It's only a matter of time before the weight and the pressure of this world makes it fall apart. Here's a way to think about this. If you're going through a season and your job is falling apart, and at the same time you would say your life is falling apart, what does that tell you? that your job is your life. So here's what Paul says. He says, I, I want you to take that, that blank space and I have a name that I want you to write in it and that is to live is Christ. Here's what that means. If we choose to live for Christ, there will never be a funeral that we have to go to. For Jesus, There will never be a retirement from Jesus. Jesus will be the thing in that space that no matter if everything else changes, no matter if everything else slips through our hands, if we have him, we will always have him. Because circumstances didn't give us Jesus, circumstances can't take Jesus away from us. Amen. So Paul says, I want you to live for Christ. And in the next few verses, we're really going to push in on and say, what does that mean to really live for Christ? But before we do that, I just want to talk about what it doesn't mean to live for Christ. Just to, be, just to be overly clear, what it doesn't mean is that there will be no grieving and no problems. If you even read in this short letter, Paul says that he almost lost one of his really good friends, that he was very sick, but then he was healed. And Paul says, thank the Lord that he saved me from so much sorrow. To live for Christ does not mean we won't be sad, hurt, that we won't have tough seasons. I mean, once again, just exhibit A, Paul is writing this from prison. 
But what he is saying is that to live for Christ means that even when everything else falls, you got me. Even when everything else becomes uncertain, you will always find yourself next to me. And, and I don't know about you, but I think that's, that's a great place to be. And then he's gonna push in on what it does look like if we are gonna live for Christ. And it's in verse 22. Take a look at this. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. If I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So this is the first kind of heads up of what does it mean to live for Christ? He says, well, there's gonna be, there's gonna be fruit. It's evident. Everywhere Paul went, no matter what he was attached to, no matter what season he was in, there was always a fruit of his ministry that was being shown. What, what's the fruit of your life? Our lives are set up and designed to get the fruit that we're getting. And a lot of times, the most important things to us find themselves in what we celebrate. How do we know it was a successful season? By the fruit that shows up. And we see in Paul's life that there was fruit. And for me and you, what's that fruit that we're looking for? I would say first and foremost that the fruit of our life should be evident to all by what God is doing in us. We talk about this all the time, but the fruit of the Spirit, God's character, he's saying that that should be evident. Things like joy and peace and patience and self-control and faithfulness and goodness, like all of these things should be evident in our lives, that they should be showing up. Is that a fruit that you're trying to cultivate in this season? Because if we're living for Christ, then, then that fruit should be there internally. And then he says that that fruit is there not just for you to feel good or for you to experience the season that you're in with joy. It's for ministry. It's for others. Everything that you have been given is for the person next to you. And that's really what he pushes in on in this next verse. He says, yeah, if you live for Christ, there's gonna be fruit in your life. And then he says this. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. Did you catch what he said? He said, to live for Christ means you are here to help others grow and experience the joy of their faith. If you're taking notes, that is the thing. If I'm looking at and I'm questioning, am I really giving my life to Christ? Is everything subservient to him truly? Is, there, is, is God doing, is there fruit? Is there spiritual fruit that I cannot take credit for? Is that in my life? And then on the other side, is there a ministry in my life? Have I committed? to helping others experience and to grow in the joy of their faith. Can you say that? What does that look like for you in this season? How are you helping other people 
do that. And I don't know about you, but what I've, what I've seen is that a lot of times, that when we begin to look at that, how can I help others experience and grow in their faith? A lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, God uses some of our biggest losses, things that we've walked through, things that we didn't know if we would be able to get through, and now has this way of using them to, to one, shape us, form us into the image of Jesus, but then to use as our platform for some of our greatest ministries. I think Paul had this realization, and I don't know when he had it, if it was one of the many times he was in prison, one of the times he was shipwrecked, one of the times he was beaten, but he had this perspective shift where it wasn't, he couldn't just bow out because of his circumstances, he couldn't just step away because of his loss, he began to see things differently. And we talked about a little bit about this last week where he was literally chained to a guard 24 hours a day but something in him shifted. The world was looking at him like, man, I'm so sorry, I can't believe that you're in this situation. And Paul said, no, 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 you're not seeing it right. I'm not chained to him, he's chained to me. And now because I'm here in prison, the whole prison guard knows about Jesus. Because I'm here, everyone is placing their faith in him. He's like, don't, don't, don't mourn for me. It's this simple truth within the Christian faith, which becomes one of the most selfless things that we can do, and when we're most like Jesus, when we take this truth, your loss becomes their gain. Your loss becomes their gain. When I move from this space of I'm not chained to this, it's chained to me. You know, I've seen this. You know, I know a guy, he's an incredible pastor and he has struggled with mental health and illness for as long as he can remember. And he worked through it and he prayed through it and he saw experts, he did everything. But then there was a few years ago where it shifted. I saw it and it was one of the most beautiful and powerful things I've ever seen. It wasn't just this thing that he was going through, it wasn't just this trial that he had. He had this moment where he changed his perspective and he said, I'm no longer chained to you, you're chained to me. And now mental health has become his platform. The thing that was trying to crush him has become his biggest platform to be able to minister and to care for others. I've seen it with divorce, I've seen it with infertility, I've seen it over and over again, where that thing that was supposed to crush us now becomes our biggest platform to serve and to show others that joy is actually possible, not when it's gone, but in the midst of it. So how are you helping others ex grow and experience the joy of their faith? And it's okay if you're like, I, I don't know. Or it's okay if you know and you're like, I'm not doing anything. I just wanna challenge you here in this moment that this is a big part of what it means to follow Jesus. Not just one day when we get to show up to heaven, but me and you have been tasked, commissioned to go and to help others experience and to grow in their faith. This is why we talk so much about serving. Serving is about so much more than just you. It's, it's about what the other person on the other side of you needs. And no matter what serving opportunity you hold here at this church, that's what you're doing. You have something, some action that you're doing, but underneath that, every position, you can be sure of this, you are here 
to help others experience and grow in the joy of their faith. And if you're here in this season, you've been saying, I've been waiting for a sign. I just don't know when or how, what I should do. This is your sign. (laughs) And I want you to go find a bigger sign. It's in the lobby at all of our campuses. It's the next step wall. Every opportunity of what it could look like for you to be on mission and to start serving here is right there. What am I doing? I I wanna have that fruitful life. I want God's spirit to be taking over. I wanna spend my days not just cowering and shrinking back because of the hits that I've taken, but I trust that God can work all things for the good of those who love him. And the thing that was supposed to crush me, now that's the thing that I hold up. And I say, God has taken me through this. There is hope on the other side of this. But I know in a lot of the rooms, like the one you're sitting in right now, there's people that are like, is faith really that good? Is faith really that strong? I mean, it worked for this Paul guy 2,000 years ago, but what about right now with today's problems, today's struggles? Can this ancient way of life really help me this week? And I believe it can. The power of, of, of to live as Christ is still available to you. And if you only knew the people that you're sitting next to, what they walked through to get here. You're sitting next to heroes of the faith. You're sitting next to people that hell has been trying to take down for decades and yet they are standing in the victory of Christ. Their life does not make sense outside of the grace of God. And what we wanna do right now is just to share a story with you of a couple who, who, who lost so much but, but held on to joy throughout everything. Take a look at the screens. I was 19 when I had Christian. I think it was like four years after that, we planned Carter. A year after that, I was pregnant with Caleb. depiction of like how our life was we're like I feel like we're finally getting to where we wanted to be and then it felt kind of like it was just snatched like it was just taken 
and to see his body light up with like all the cancer he had, it was very hard and I wanted to just know why. It felt that I was, like I was less than the man, that I couldn't figure out how to save my little boy. I've been a Christian my entire life, but then I never really had to step in front of a trial and having to make a conscious decision to actually follow God and not have any resources. That is the moment where I made the choice to actually believe what the Word of God said. The men's group and the women's group was like very involved. Like they came to our house and prayed with us and that's when I decided if, if God took Caleb that I would have to continue to be okay. I really felt God's covering over me during that time and from then on. Like I decided then if he took my baby away from me that I would still trust him and that I would still love him and that everything would be all right. I believe that there's a purpose. Ephesians talks about us being made as a masterpiece. Well, how many Mona Lisas are there? There's only one. There's a lot of counterfeits, but there's only one. There's only one you. He's given each one of us a specific purpose. And so in the life of, of Caleb, I also adopted that same mindset. And so today, how we are able to talk about this, how we are able to speak to people is not because you know, we're, we're not sad. It's because we know that God has a purpose and he has a plan for us. Joy is something that is not conditional. Happiness is very conditional based off of the condition of what I'm going through. We still have hard times, and I still definitely have hard times. I think that our children still have hard times as well uh, when remembering Caleb, but I don't believe that trials and tribulations come just for you. I think that people are constantly watching, and I think that Caleb's passing has created hope different conversations that I had or like Facebook posts or like hundreds of people like messaging of just hearing the story. At the funeral, a lady came up to us and she said, you all don't know me and I don't know you, but I followed you guys' story on Facebook and I wanna let you know that we gave our lives to Christ because of your story. Looking back, seeing how God just provided then without us knowing it and went before us. Prior to Caleb's diagnosis, I don't think that I had like a really close community that I saw often. My joy comes from spending time with Christ and making sure I'm intentional about my children spending time with Christ and them getting to know him so that way they can have the same joy that I have in the midst of whatever storm comes.
Joy is a confidence in the Lord. I think ultimately that's what we have now. He decides what we go through so that our fingerprints can touch the world. I think what our story is most impactful in is that despite what people go through, if you just depend on God, you will have a peace that passes all understanding. That's joy. Can we just take a moment and celebrate and honor the Harvey family for their faith, for their story, You know, I got to be a, an eyewitness to all of that. I, I got to hear those prayers. I got to see the fasting. It was unlike anything I've ever seen before. And there's definitely days that are hard for them, and there's still tears that are shed. But today, DeMarcus is at our West Campus leading on the worship team. Asherette's probably sitting in the front row worshiping there is this evident fruit to their lives. Their story, which could have went so many different ways, has now been used as a story of hope that has drawn people closer to Christ. They've heard that over and over again. Last week alone, we were talking with the team, two new families were at our church because they invited them to come. To live is Christ. I hope you see that the power that is behind those four words. And there's just as much power behind those last four. To die is gain. Nobody talks like that. It was Albert King in the 70s who had a song that said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Kenny Chesney, 2008, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Now, that makes sense to me from the worldly perspective. That makes sense to me if whatever you have in that line of to live is, if it's anything other than Jesus, why? Because at death, that means that I've lost it. I've lost all the things that I've worked for. I lost all the things that were most important to me. Jesus is the only one you can put in that space that truly to die is a gain. That's what Paul said. He said, it would be better if I was dead. It would be better if I could be, are you kidding me? To be done with these prisons, to be done with this torture, to be done with all this pain and just to be with Jesus? I'd pick that because I will be gaining more than I lose. Why? Why do we have this gain at the end of the thing that the rest of the world is so fearful of? It's because of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. 
that Jesus came to live that life that me and you could never live, that he went to a cross, that he paid the penalty for our sin, that he would die for me and you, that his loss would become our gain, that Jesus would resurrect three days later, proving that all authority, all power is given to him on heaven and on earth. And he says, one day there's gonna be a joy that awaits you and it'll be me and you for all of eternity. No more pain, no more loss. But he said, in the meantime, I want you to live for me. I want you to continue what I began. That's what Paul said. He says, not even any longer I who live. My old self was crucified. It is I, it's Christ who lives in me. You know, I was telling my son about this maybe a year ago, he was seven or eight years old, and I'm explaining to him the gospel, I'm explaining to him heaven, what all awaits, what will be there and won't, will, won't be there. And just like a, a childhood faith, he said, then why don't we just die now? That should be the only logical explanation. That's what Paul came to. But then he remembered, but while I'm here, there is a fruitful work that I have been called to do. And I told him, because that faith that you have, buddy, that confidence that you have, that picture of eternity, that knowing of who Jesus is, that's what we're here to bring to the world, to help them experience and to grow in the joy of their faith. So it's not just waiting until we get to heaven one day, it's how can I help bring heaven to this situation? How can I partner with God to bring his kingdom here? But that begins with defining what it is we live for. And so what I want us to do right now is just to create a space, a, a time of response, a time to be honest of what it is in that space to live is, and to create a moment where you can take whatever that is and place the name of Jesus in it. So if you could, at all of our campuses, just right where you're sitting, right where you're sitting, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just take a moment. What is it that's in that space to live is? God, Whatever I've put in your space, whatever's at the end of to live is, God, I pray that it would be removed right now. We repent of it, we turn from it, we realize how fragile and small it is in comparison to live is Christ. Father, I remove it in this moment and I place my life in yours. To live is Christ. Make that your prayer. Could be the first time, could be the first time in a long time. To live is Christ. I make that declaration.
today. I place my faith in you. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you went to a cross. I believe you resurrected. And I place my faith in you and you alone. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Father, as we go from here, God, as we go in your name, in your power, God, let our lives only make sense in the light of grace. God, allow us through your power to take the things that were meant to destroy us and to turn them into our greatest ministries. God, allow us not to lean on things that are so circumstantial, but God, we stand in you. We stand in your victory. And if we are to live, if you give us another moment, another day, another year, it will be for the joy of others. And if you take us, God, we stand in confidence knowing that joy will be all we ever experience in your presence. Father, it is in your name we pray.